Ladies and gentlemen, we need to talk about something. About the good stuff that keeps us going, which is utterly important during these draining days. Welcome to Something Basketball, your English spoken basketball podcast straight out of Germany. I'm your host JB, and today we'll talk about the love for the mid-range game. Well, it's kind of. What we've learned so far is that everybody's path into basketball is different. A lot depends on where you're coming from, where you've been raised, what schools you attended, what injuries held you back, or what coaches took you under their wings. That's why I needed to take a chance to sit down with Cameron Wells and pick his brain. The 31-year-old from Houston, Texas, just arguably was playing his best basketball for Bundesliga Team Würzburg. Right. That's the town that got famous for being home to the greatest German basketball player ever. With that out the way, everybody back in the States knows now where he's at. Where he was on the verge of playing his name into MVP conversations. Just before the COVID-19 pandemic put the entire 1920 season in limbo. Seeing the energetic combo guard play, you, you, you initially realize Wells is not playing by analytics. He doesn't always settle for the three or goes all the way to the hoop. No, he's one of the very few who mastered an, an unstoppable mid-range game, a feat hard to accomplish in today's game. When Cameron and I met, it was game day, one of the very last before BBL play was postponed. We sat down in the hotel lobby, Jordan 11's on our feet, and enjoyed a deep-dive conversation with teammates and coaches occasionally strolling by, including assistant coach Stephen Key, who was featured on the Something Basketball podcast before. Interviews on game days prior to tip-off are super rare, let alone joining the squad for a brief walk through the woods nearby to get your legs loose, and it tells you a lot about the overall Würzburg culture. It trickles down from the top, where head coach Dennis Wucherer, a family man and former German national team player, gives his playing personnel the freedom to be themselves and hold one another accountable. In this field, Cameron Wells is highly valuable as he learned to establish functional structures during his college days at the Citadel, a military academy playing for coach Ed Conroy. These experiences made a lasting impact on Wells' behavior on and off the court, and it helped him deal with obstacles that were thrown his way over the course of his nine-year career. By the way, if you have ever asked someone if media appointments on game day really diminished a player's output, Look no further than Cam Wells' 23.7 boards, six dimes and just one turnover in 24 minutes played that day, including a much-needed 95-86 road win over Bonn. During our talk, Cam and I stuck to the something basketball cradle, exchanging the good old triple threat position, shoot, pass and dribble for, in his case, setbacks, partners in crime and discipline. How much does it help? Let's say a guy is coming out of Houston, Texas, mm -hmm. plays professional ball overseas, mm -hmm. and everybody at home wants to know, hey, where are you at right now? Where do we find you on the map? How, how much does it help to let them know, yeah, I'm playing in Würzburg now, which is known for somebody who's been playing in Texas for a long time. How much does it help to make people, you know, get people to understand where you are right now? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think uh, when I look back at my journey, uh, just starting off in Holland, uh, 
Just starting from there, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a long time coming, really, from, from Holland to Versburg. And, uh, like you said, starting off in Houston, where I didn't even think I would play overseas basketball. I never thought about it. I, I never thought about going overseas. I mean, all you see is the NBA. You don't really watch, you know, uh, overseas basketball. So uh, it's just been a blessing. I think it's, it's, uh, it's nice for people to see where I came from to now seeing me play in Germany. This has been an experience. But when you started your pro career in 2011, Yes. And you let everybody know, hey, I'm going to Zwolle now. Yeah. Everybody's like, where the heck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so talk about the, the, the comparison, the, the difference between letting people know, hey, I'm playing in Zwolle. Yeah. And seeing their expressions on the faces, <laughs> their facial well, it, expressions, it was, and now letting them know, hey, I'm in Würzburg. Right. Well, it's, it was, like you said, it was a lot of questions. Like, like where? Where are you going? Like, we, we haven't heard of there. Like, you know, most people know the bigger places. But, uh like I said, I think it was it was a lot of questions as far as like you know like what language do they speak? How's the culture there? Uh, what's the food like? You know, it's just a lot of those questions. I, I still get some of those now, but I think you know at, as my eighth season, I think they kind of know what to expect a little bit more now than they did when I first came. Even as far as myself as well, you know, I had a lot of questions myself. You know, asked a lot of questions, was trying to experience different things, and now I'm kind of settled in and kind of know what, what's coming. When you started your journey to Zwolle, back in the days, mm. what's been the, the biggest questions, Mar? The, the biggest questions you had coming in that turned out to be of no relevancy? Uh, well, I was always worried about, you know, I like to eat. So first, my first thing was, you know, what's the food going to be like? I thought, you know, you're going to see, I was like, you know, they're not going to have hamburgers. They're not going to have, you know, just basic stuff that you have. And when you get there, you know, it's, it's kind of just everything is pretty much the same, you know, as far as food. You know, they have different dishes and things like that, but uh, as far as that goes, everything was the same. Um, I think my main focus was, you know, the transition from college basketball to being an actual professional and making money and a living. And uh, it actually turned out to be the same kind of routine, especially with the Citadel, as, as we talked about earlier, was, you know, the Citadel was pretty, was pretty structured. You know, we had to be here at a certain time, had to be there at a certain time. You had to show up, you had to be dressed, ready to go. Uh, and being professional was the same, you know, you had to wake up at, you know, seven, eight in the morning, get ready for practice, be there on time, be ready to go. Talk about in, in, in what way um, you're still, you know, what you experienced back in, in the day in the Citadel is still to high value for you personally and as a pro as we're sitting right now in 2020. How much did this affect the, the whole journey and, and you as a person and how much, in what way did it, did it shape and prepare you to, to, to live in the life of a pro? Yeah, well, the Citadel is a military school, so, you know, that's, they're big on discipline, big on discipline and, um, you know, you don't think you take that stuff with you, but just as far as, you know, just the little things, that's what our coaches always talk about was just the little things that matter, you know, touching the line, going all the way to touch the line instead of stopping short, um, working on footwork or passing, you know, when you're shooting the drills, I still do it to this day, you know, you have a shooting partner, instead of just grabbing the ball and just throwing it randomly back to him, you know, throw a good chest pass, you know, that's, I mean, it's something small, but that's stuff that, that kind of makes a difference in the end, it's just as far as being disciplined in what you're doing, paying attention to the little things that end up mattering in the long run. Um, that's, that's kind of was, was always in my mind. I remember um, hearing about a book. I don't know about the general's name, but I thought it was a U.S. military general who, who wrote a book. It was labeled or named like something like um, Make Your Bed in the Morning. Ever heard of this? Uh, it was... It's, uh, it's especially it's exactly I, about the little details that you mentioned. Right, he, yeah. he, had a, he had a speech where he said, hey, 
when you wake up in the morning, make your bed before yeah. you go to breakfast. Yeah. Because that's the first thing you are able to do in a, in a good manner. In a, you, you, that's the first chance uh, of the day to establish good manners, good habits. Right. So make your bed because when you're coming back home, whether it's early or late, whenever you want to go to bed, you find the bed and it's a you know it's it's lovely dress and right. it, it gives you a good feeling going to bed in, in the evening. Right. Um, so so in this regard, um, how tough was it to for you personally to install all those those little habits, all those little manners that you were taught in, in, in the Citadel? Yeah, you know, I still do that stuff to this day. I still make up my bed every morning. Uh, even before I leave for the road trip. You know, if my if I had dirty dishes or something, I clean up my whole house before I leave and go. Um, but it was tough for me, especially coming in as 18, you know, uh, my, my family was still pretty structured, you still had to do some of that stuff, but um, just experiencing it on that level was different. Uh, and it took me a while to get adjusted, you know, sometimes you try to fight back against it, you don't really want to do some of the stuff, and, uh, but you, what I've learned in the long run is, you know, that stuff kind of still sticks with you, and it actually learns, it actually creates good habits, and, you know, uh, that's that's been really um, played a big part of, in my professional career as far as just working on my game and trying to be disciplined in you know, how I shoot, how I dribble, um, just how I play overall. Um, and then even the things on, the, on uh, outside of the court has helped me as well. Does it help or how much would you say is the, the four years spent in the Citadel is part of you being able to be a leader on the floor and off the floor for any given team that, that you're on? How much does, does that play into account? I, it plays a lot because uh, I didn't really know what being a leader was before I got to Citadel. I and mean, then you kind of watch, you know, my biggest thing was uh, I like to sometimes just to watch people and to see, you know, how they're doing things, how they're, what kind of routine they're in, you know, how they're, they're how they practice and kind of just take bits and pieces from, from different things that you see and that you like. And, um, you know, biggest thing that Citadel tries to teach you is how to be a leader and how to lead. Uh, and I think that's what I try to do. I try to do it more by example. I don't really talk a lot. Uh, you know, I, I can work on that at times, but I try to lead by example by doing things I need to do, coming in practice, you know, giving it all I have, putting in extra work, and just trying to lead that way. When did you realize that the, the whole Citadel experience would translate to what you're doing on the floor? I never did. You know, like I said, like, I, I, like, again, I didn't like uh, when I first got there, you know, I didn't like it. I didn't like. You know, the it was, it was almost like a boot camp. You know, we had to shave our heads bald and we had to wear a uniform, had to wake up at 5 in the morning every day. And uh, I even when on the basketball court, you know, we did a lot of uh, skill work. You know, I thought we were just going to come in. You know, that's how our high school was. You know, we came in, it was 5 on 5, basically like a pickup type setting. Here it was a lot of skill work, a lot of, you know, discipline and moving and cutting. And uh, it took me a while to get adjusted. And I thought, you know, once I left, you know, I'm, I'm not going to remember all this stuff. And it it kind of just, as you see, it, just, it stays with you. And you realize how much stuff that, that actually really helped you and affected you in a positive way. So when you say you didn't like it in the first place, so why the choice to go all the way from sunny Texas to, well, I mean, it's still sunny where the city that was yeah, located, but, yeah. you know, to, to have that, that kind of structure and that kind of drill and, and, and discipline, was it totally your choice? It was, it was a mixture. The parents' choice? It, it was, was a mixture. It? it was my, my parents' choice. It was a free scholarship, number one. Uh, yeah. Number two, it was, uh, I had talked to my dad about it, and uh, it's kind of something we decided, and then... I no, but do you have any military background in the family? No, no, none. I mean, my brother. That's what I was wondering while doing research. I c 
couldn't find anything in the world. No, like, hey, my brother's an interesting up, sort of choice. Yeah, my brother ended up joining the Navy, my older brother. But um, before that, no, he had no military experience. Um, he just, I think my dad was looking, he wanted me to be in a structured environment, so he knew I was taking care of my business. You know, and, and like I said, the Citadel, you know, you're, you're accounted for basically 24-7, especially as a freshman. You know, you have to tell people where you're going, what you're doing. Uh, most of the time, you have somebody telling you what you should be doing or where you, where you should be going. Yeah. So I think he kind of enjoyed that fact of, you know, he know, you know, he didn't have to worry about me so much, you know, not doing what I'm supposed to do. This leads uh, to the, the the ongoing question: Was Cameron Wells a troublemaker in his early days? <laughs> I wasn't. A, I wouldn't say I was a troublemaker. <laughs> just, uh, just a young kid. Just a kid. I mean, you know, like kids make mistakes. You know, kids make mistakes. You know, you, you think you're doing something right at times. And even when I look back at being 18, you know, I don't think I actually, I actually didn't go to the Citadel. You know, I, I was. I thought about trying to get out of it and going somewhere else. And uh, looking back at it, I mean, that would have been a huge mistake for me. Because I actually, you know, like I said, I ended up enjoying my freshman year. As tough as it was, it was really tough at first. Even toward the end, it was still tough. But, you know, you look back at that experience and you just like, you know, you made it through. And that's something you can kind of be proud of and you look back at. It. It's like, man, that was actually a pretty fun year. Especially when we're talking about a four-year process. Yeah. When you're looking back, you can say, yeah, it's only four years. Right. But it's four years. It's four and you got to be there every single day. Every day. Uh, four Four times, uh, yeah. 650, 56 days. Right, right. And we had so we had to be there in summertime. So I mean, I I wasn't home. Only time we get went home was Thanksgiving break, Christmas break, and then I got a month in the summer. Okay. And then from pretty much June, I was in, in Citadel going to summer school. Most of July I was in there, and then August we got to go home until we had to come back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was long, but you know, once you the people I was around, the team, the people, the relationships you build, kind of go back a little bit quicker and it makes it enjoyable. So yeah. I, I really enjoyed my time there. So you finish university, mm -hmm. you start your pro career in Zwolle yeah. in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. the beautiful Netherlands, and then you got injured. Yes. Any injury, I guess. I ACL. ACL. Yeah, tore my ACL. Which is not your everyday. You you'll be back in two weeks. Injury. No, I, I set out the whole year. I had to right. set out the whole year. Yeah. So take me through this process of finishing university, realizing hey, I can turn pro, mm. come on overseas, playing in little tiny Svala, yeah, and then having to go back to the states. And, and, you know, maybe to some degree explain everybody that, yeah, that the journey you just got about to be started, you got to sit out a whole year well, because I, of this ACL, you know, well, injury. So what does it make with, with the whole environment that, that you're in? Was it super supportive or were people trying to say, hey, Cam, maybe you should think about doing something else because, you know, Zwolle is not the biggest market in the world and you just got injured. Take right. me through this process, especially what it makes with your psyche. Well, I actually, after Holland, um, I had went to the Summer League, uh, played for Milwaukee in Summer League, and then I went to Tubingen. I was in Tubingen the second right. year, and then I played Tubingen from November to May, and then I tore my ACL. So I had two years, and then, uh, and this, just for me, I mean, because once I started in Holland, it was, you know, I had a good season, make the All-Star game, and then I went to play for the Bucks, which was, was, a, it was a really great experience to, to be there and just experience the Summer League. And, Uh, to begin was wasn't the best year. I think it was for me is one of those learning experiences, just to how to deal with things and um, 
kind of, you know, every year is not going to be the greatest year. And, you know, just try to fight through that adversity and come back and say, okay, well, next year I have to get ready. And then on top of that, I got hurt. And that was, that was pretty tough. That was, a, that was a rough year for me. Uh, I didn't know. I had a lot of unanswered questions. I didn't know if I wanted to play again. I didn't know, you know, what it was going to be like. I ended up working at the YMCA uh, for maybe a few months, trying to make a comeback in January. That was my plan, was to try to come back in January. It didn't work out. So I didn't know if I was going to play again. Um, and then that's when I came to Geeson and met Dennis for the first time, was that upcoming year. Yeah. That's when I came back. And right, got the, got the dates mixed up. So, yeah. so um, but when we talk about the, the, you know, whether it's family or friends at home, hmm. um, what's been, what's their reaction been like? As I said, I mean, two years in, yeah. you're playing Swallow, you're playing Tübingen, with a lot of guys that went on to have tremendous careers. I mean, we're talking about the Reggie Reddings, we're right. talking about the Von Duggins of the right. world, hey, Josh Young, Tyrone Nash, yeah. uh, together with, with coach Igor Petrovic, who's been, I, I believe, from the outside looking in, a, a great mentor who's been, uh, he's been, I believe, one of the best to um, give teams what they need to be prepared for the second part of the season. Yeah. I believe when I look at tubing teams under, under his uh, wing, they sometimes struggled tremendously in, in the first half of the season, mm. but then turned around uh, he was one awesome of the, in, in the second half and, and had great winning streaks. You know, he was one of the, I, you know, I, was, I didn't play a lot over there, and like I said, it was a tough year even basketball-wise for me, but as far as just uh, the knowledge of the game and uh, skill work and stuff like that, he was, he's, really, he's a really good coach at that. We had uh, his game plans, his, uh, the stuff we did to prepare, uh, he's, he's been one of the best guys that I've, I've been around to actually see and experience. And I think that was good for me to actually go there and watch, you know, play against Reggie Redding every day and Vaughn Duggins because, you know, those guys make you better. Um, so that was actually a good experience, even though it didn't end well for me. But uh, I still look back at it like, you know, I'm glad I actually went through that and, and had that chance. But um, once I got hurt, it was just, uh, you know, my family was supportive. You know, it was – I had a – I had to just think about it. You know, my dad was talking to me about maybe finding a job, maybe, you know, trying to do something and just see just how it goes and how yeah. I feel and uh, seeing the market, if, if there's teams out was there. Was it really an option for you to, for after just two years in, having that injury to say, okay, hey, maybe the, the last year I had in Tubing, although you, yeah. it's been a learning experience, it wasn't I did. I strongly considered. So, so maybe, maybe I'm just... Even as a, as a plan B, just think about doing something else. Yeah, I actually strongly considered to stop playing because, um, yeah. like I said, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. I've never been hurt in that way. Even at the Citadel, I mean, I've had, you know, you you're never really 100% when you play. You always have bruises and nicks and stuff. But uh, to actually have something torn, you know, like that in that big way and sit out a whole year. Hey, coach. Um, so far, so good. See. That's that's why you can tell coach is one of the good guys. The Jordans. He has on J the Elevens too. He knows. <laughs> he just copied me. So. No. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, you know the, no, the young no, kids, no. the young kids. No, 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 no. He just he watches and he observes pretty well. Yeah, you gotta learn from the best. He's had those for ten years now. Wash your hands. No, hey, yeah, go, he, go, go, go. These yeah. are these are these these were released in two thousand. So hey. <laughs> Go take a walk, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read a little bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, but, yeah, it was, so I did consider uh, to just kind of do something else just because, you know, I, was, I wasn't used to it. I wasn't used to being out like that. And, 
Um, you know, I was always checking Eurobaskets to see, you know, who's playing, what they were doing. And, um, so, yeah, I thought about it a lot. But in the end, you know, I had an opportunity to either go to Giessen or I think it was like Finland or somewhere. Um, and I just I thought Giessen Pro A would be a good chance to kind of start over and see how it goes and yeah. take it from there. Why Giessen over Finland? Well, my, my agent advised me. He just said, you know, besides, I think, besides the money. I mean, the money either way was. At the great. end of the day, everybody, everybody <laughs> has to eat. So yeah. it wasn't the money either way was a great. I think it was actually around the same. It was okay. just Finland first league, and then it was uh, Giessen second league. And I think my agent told me like maybe being in the German second league might be a little bit better because then teams can see you and. So, you know, I just kind of followed his advice, and I was like, you know, I'll give it a try and just see how it goes. And um, that's why, like I said, I met Dennis, and it ended up being a good year, won the championship, and ended up moving right back to the BBL, so it was the right decision. The very first encounter with Dennis Wuchera, former national team player for Germany, multi-time champion in the German league, mm -hmm. I think the first guy to ever post back-to-back uh, -back triple doubles in the BBL. Mm -hmm. Talk about the first encounter. I mean, maybe talking to him on the phone before coming in. I don't even think it's I'll one thing, but when you first meet somebody, it's the first impression always sticks to some degree. I mean, he, if you talk to him now, you see him now, he's, he's not a guy of many words. You know, he doesn't say a lot. And when I met him, you know, uh, I think I just talked to him. He talked to me in detail just about how we were going to approach the season, just as far as my injury and stuff like that, because he knew I was coming back to ACL. I think he's experienced something, that, something like that on, on some kind of level. And, um, and from there, you know, that's where it, it kind of started. You know, he kind of let me inch my way in uh, day by day, week by week. And I think it's kind of just uh, I was trying to learn from him as well and ask him, you know, what are you looking for from me? And, um, he saw certain things to let me know and try to improve in that way. Yeah. Comes to, you know, just the, the fact that you've been working with Dennis for many, many years now. Mm -hmm. Back in the days in Gießen, now it's the second uh, consecutive year in, in Würzburg. Um, talk about your your relationship because sometimes you, you have just that a coach and a player, they work for almost their entire careers or, or for, for huge stretches during their careers together. Right. Um, so what is it that, that makes you guys click? Is there a secret mojo? What is it that, that uh, works yeah. for, both of you, for both of you guys? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, honestly, I don't know. Like, like I said, we, we talk from time to time. You know, we don't really say much to each other, but I think it's just kind of a, a known thing. Yeah, I, think, I think one of the things, sometimes experiences, uh, kind of bond people together. I think that was his first, I think it was his second year in Geeson coaching. Um, and I think when we won that championship together, I think that kind of created that, that bond, I guess, so that relationship that we both kind of went back to the BBL. And he was his first time coaching BBL. It's, you know, my, it's my time coming back. Um, and I think it just started from there. Like, even now, we t we, I, we, when I came back to Versailles, we talked about you know trying to make the playoffs for the first time. It'll be my first time making playoffs and his as well. Um, that's just something that I think that we're trying to just do something together uh, as player and coach. I guess. Yeah. Compared to to all the different coaches that you had in between or, or prior to working with, with Dennis, whether it's Ed Conroy, uh, the great Hammond. Vandenbelt in, mm -hmm. in the Netherlands and, and even Igor Perovic, uh, we already touched him and 
Uh, then back to the, even though the year, the year you had in, in Varese, uh, what you called uh, Kaja, um, what's, what's the, the biggest difference or what are the, the takeaways from your experience, from your experiences with all the other coaches that, um, you know, helps you maybe, maybe value even more what you have with Dennis right now? Um, let's see. So, I think with, me, with Coach Conroy, it was a little bit different because, you know, he, he's a guy who brought me in for, as a freshman, as, you know, as an 18-year-old, and uh, it kind of helped me work on my game and, and you know, kind of brought me in because, you know, as college, is a little bit more of a family structure, I would say, because you, you're around the same guys. You know you're going to be around the same guys almost four years. Um, but with all the other, with, as, since I've been a professional, um, he's, I think he's just one of the guys who I know I can come up to and just talk to. You know, I know I could, if I had a problem or if I wanted to work on something, I know I can come up and talk to him or during a game, if I needed something, I know I can come and talk to him. He's just a little bit more open than a lot of other coaches that I've had. And I, I think he knows my game the best. And we've been together, like I say, five years now. So he knows what to expect, what I, what I, where I want to get, uh, the spots I want to get to. Uh, he knows how to put me there. So. It's just been easier to just kind of play my game and be free in that in that, in that aspect of it. So communication plays plays a big part in, in this one. How much how much did um, especially in the the first two years overseas that you had, how much did did Coach Funnenbelt uh, and, and Petrovic help you get adjusted to you know the European way of living, whether it's on the floor or off the floor? Mm -hmm. how, how much was 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 that a factor for for you in in order to you know? Establish yourself as a pro. Well, my first year, I mean, I had a. It, it was nice having. I had a roommate, which I thought I wouldn't like, but that was, that was actually turned out to be you know a good experience. We were both rookies, and um, he kind of helped me out, kind of guide me along as far as uh, just uh, navigating through the different culture. I guess you know I, I didn't really know how to drive a stick shift. You know, I was driving a stick shift, getting stuck in the middle of the street, and. Uh, he kind of helped me with my driving, and then we also had a veteran guard on that team who, you know, like I said, my, my whole thing coming in as a rookie was just to kind of watch other professionals and see what being a professional basketball player was about. And uh, I watched him, just how he approached practice, how he approached, you know, stretching, and I never really was a big stretcher, you know, how he stretched um, after practice and how he took care of his body, and uh, that's something that I learned from watching them. And then with Eagle, it was just... Uh, just the other aspect of it, how to read the pick and roll, uh, how to, you know, read the offside defense, how to, how to, you know, look at scouting and, and play defense on people and actually watch film and be able to study and see different things that you need to learn from it. Uh, and I think that, again, that, that helps me now because now I watch film and I, can, I watch a guy who I know I probably guard or guard me and I can kind of tell what I would be looking for during the game. Is, is this something you don't get taught in, in college? You know, this this pre-game preparation stuff? Yeah, but it was, you know, sometimes it's just a little, other people have different methods of how, of what you're looking for. So in college, I think we more just went over plays. It was just to be ready for the play. So if you hear, you know, chin, you know, guys coming this way or that way. But I think with Igor is more detailed and individual personnel, just, you know, how to guard. He was big on one-on-one -on -one defense. So how to guard your guy how to look for, you know, tails, you know, like if you cut a guy off going right, um, is he going to go behind the back or through the legs? You know, what was his favorite move? Where, where, what spot was he trying to get to? How to stop him from getting that spot? Uh, so we would just watch, sometimes we would just watch a whole game and he would just say, hey, this is who you're going to be guarding. Watch him, see what you're going to be doing, see how to guard him, see how he guards you, 
see where you're going to get your shots from. Um, and that, again, that's what I do now. <laughs> and it turns out to, to uh, you know, work in your, your favor, especially when we talk about, uh, you know, the, the offensive game that, right. um, that you're bringing to display this, this season, this very season. Um, overall, the, it, you know, the, the, the trend is uh, either it's going to be a layup or it's going to be a, a wild three, if you will. But mm -hmm. threes and, and layups, that's, that's the thing. The mid-range game is almost yeah. non, non-existent. Pretty much, yeah. Um, but with all the analytical stuff, going on and, and everybody's you know looking at the numbers and trying to dissect you know basketball players and in, in to the little tiniest details um how much is is your style of play i don't know let's say it's like like somewhat not really a, a revolution but it's somewhat like the the total total opposite um and and how much um Or how long did it take you to, to be fine with this? To not be one of those modern guards that just wants to rack up threes and, and go to the rim all the time? Uh, I mean, it's just, it's, for me, it's just natural. This is how I've, I've always played. You know, since, I, since I've known basketball, I've always been you know, a guy either trying to get to the rim uh, or kind of just play in that mid area. You know, I've worked on my threes a lot. Um, in the recent years, especially being a professional, I don't think I shot. Uh, when I look back at my college career, I think I shot maybe, uh, I want to say total in four years, maybe 200 threes total. So it wasn't a lot. And, you know, we were a three-point shooting team. So um, that's just always been my game. Um, you know, it, it just comes natural. This is how I've always worked on it. And I've, I've always prepared that way. And uh, it's, I don't think about it. So no, no one ever really tried to push you into a situation where you're not comfortable with saying like, hey, no. we got to settle for the three in, instead of the long two or so. No, well, they, uh, I have coaches, like even Dennis. Dennis told me, you know, uh, one year he challenged me, you know, next year you come back, I want you to shoot, you know, four threes a game. Which is, oh, which, uh, like you said, in this time of day, you know, a lot of teams want you to shoot threes, and I, I want to shoot threes. And it's something that, you know, I'm trying to add, you know, you're always trying to add a different layer to your game. So being, having that mid-range and getting to the rim is good, but also being able to be a threat from the three-point line is also something that, you know, I need to have. So uh, he, he, I've had people try to encourage me to shoot more threes, and I do look for the three more now as a professional, but um, I think mid-range is still my spot. You know, I get in there, and I feel more, most comfortable in there. And so what's the secret behind getting to your sweet spots? What's the secret behind? Because one, you gotta go past your defender. Yeah. Then you got the help coming up. Right. So you're always battling against two defenders. One, one who's already, yeah. you know, who's, who's in your back, and, yeah. and the one who's, who's coming up front as the big guy. Right. Um, so, so talk about you know how to evaluate uh, where your sweet spot really is, and, and to to have high value uh, shots. I mean, we're, I think I prepare for everything. So, you know, growing up, I think, uh, you know, we, we play park basketball all the time. We go to park and it's just one-on-one -on -one basketball. I, I didn't really know what a ball screen was until I got to college. And then you start watching ball screens. And, you know, before it was just, you know, you pass the ball to somebody. You know, you go one-on-one. -on -one. Hey, when you play pickup ball, nobody wants to set a screen. Everybody. No, no, no one's setting screens in <laughs> no pickup basketball. Just, no. No. That's what I was used to. You know, we had a, 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 a driveway. 
And the way it was set up, you know, we was able to at least get um, two people out there at a time, or four people, so it was two-on-two two basketball. So, I mean, two-on-two two basketball, you're not setting ball screens out there. Of course, not big enough to set a ball screen and pick and roll. So, it was just always, you know, beat your defender. You know, guy comes and you pass it. If not, I mean, you got to take a shot. So, it's, I was always just used to trying to find a way to get by this one guy. And, you know, once you do that, then you worry about the rest later. You know, there's help coming and you try to find the open guy. If not, you, know, you take a shot. So, you know, that's how I play now. You know, I use more ball screens, of course, now. And, but I still have that, that uh, I guess, skill level to be able to still take my guy one-on-one and be able to create my own shot. What, what's the, the hardest part about, or what's been the hardest part to, to learn when it comes to using ball screens, whether it's timing or angles? Because you said you, you, you've never been really used to, you know, being a, being a ball handler in that kind of situation. Right. I think um, it just took patience. I mean, it took a lot of reps. Like, even now, you know, uh, in practices and uh, I work on them a lot in the summertime. Uh, sometimes I really use that for, for skill work and, you know, doing that kind of thing. And uh, I think it just took reps. It just took a lot of reps. And like I said, working with Igor, you know, he really kind of tried to find, you know, uh, how to use the ball screen, how to hold off people, what you're looking for, um, you know. So it started there, and then uh, now, you know, just as you get that experience and as you see different defenses, you kind of know how people are going to play. You kind of know what you're already looking for. You've been in that situation enough times to know what you're going to find and what you're not going to find. So uh, I just think it, sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes a lot of reps. But um, I think it just took patience to be able to, to come off screen and not, you know, that first option is not there to not give up on it, just to kind of maybe hold the ball and look for another one and, you know, create from that. Would you say there's a, a certain scheme to how European coaches like to defend pick-and-roll situations compared to what you see Back home in the U.S. and then, uh, well, what I, see, I usually see the the different thing that I saw at first was the green. We call it green defense, or uh, it's just kind of like the it's not the hard hedge because I think a lot of people in the states hard hedge, mm. but it was just kind of like be at the point of screen and they backpedal. Uh, that was something new that it kind of took me to kind of see. Okay, like. Uh, your defender a little bit of time to yeah to get come, back to can yeah. come back so it was it was kind of like okay now what do I do if you know he's high and he backpedals you know what kind of shot am I looking for you know am I trying to hit the big or the guy on the weak side so it took a while for me to kind of do that and then like I said as I got used to it and I kept kept practicing and practicing it became a little bit easier. Any good advice ever given by one of the vets you've, you've played with during all those years in, in this regard? Because what I've experienced is, is sometimes players try to, I mean, you're not a young guy anymore, mm -hmm. both of us are not, um, but, but young guys sometimes try to, to rush things because they want to prove a point and they want to, you know, mm -hmm. let everybody know, hey, I, I'm, I'm there. So right. um, not just in, in those, those screen situations, but overall, has there any been a, a piece of advice from a veteran player? Um, that's still that's still helpful to you these days. Uh, as far as using this is basketball in general, o overall, overall, and especially especially um, you know basketball in, in in Europe and and that, that something that helped you establish yourself as a, as a pro and and you know 
helped you have that that lasting career of yours? I don't think it was anything they said. Like I said, I'm, I I liked more seeing. Uh, I usually learn more from actually doing and. I used to, like you said, like the, all the people you named earlier, like, you know, when I first got in there, you know, guarding somebody like Reggie Redding, you know, kind of helped me just watching him use a ball screen, watching, playing against him and seeing, you know, what kind of moves he'll use on me, how he set up the screen, um, uh, playing against guys like Jordan Holes every day where, you know, he's a tough shooter. You know, if, if any given day, like in practice, like he, he goes at you every practice, he's going to try scoring you. So just trying to see how these guys get open, how they score, how they use the pick and roll, what they look for. Playing with Braden Hobbs is also another one. Very good passer. Just watching him every day in practice and uh, just simple things like ball fakes and stuff like that, just how it moves the defense. And uh, I think more just more watching rather than someone telling me what to do. Okay. Um, last question. Um, when you're coming back to, to the States these days, after each and every season, um, how much did you feel, yes, I'm, I'm settled in as a traveler between those two worlds, between, you know, good old Europe and the States, and yeah. how much easier did it get over the years to, you know, explain to everybody out there or back home what you're doing for a living and, and what it is like to... You know, be away that far from home for for nine to ten months straight over the right. course of the year. And um, did you see the a, a change in their understanding for what you're doing? Definitely. Uh, as as uh, you know, pe new people I meet, you know, they're kind of kind of like, oh wow, you play overseas. You know, kind of have the same questions as like, people that I, you know in the beginning. But now, you know, I think everybody kind of knows, you know, what I do, uh, what to expect. I talk to my family all the time, talk to people all the time, and uh, they kind of know what to expect now. But uh, as far as for myself, you know, when I first got to Holland, you know, at the end of the season, you know, I was going straight back home. I wasn't trying to travel. I didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. I think for the first few years it was like that. And then I, I kind of saw some stuff, and I talked to my, my dad, and uh, he just talked to me about, you know, not taking things for granted. And that's, that's one thing I try not to do now is, you know, you're overseas, you're here already. You know, why not go and visit, you know, a different city, a different country and kind of experience that while you can. Because, you know, once it's all over, you know, I might be at home, might have a job, might not be able to travel and do these things I can now. So uh, I try to do that more now. I try to go and I, I write down every, like, list of uh, destinations, I guess you'd say, every summer. Just try to go Google some stuff and see, like, what's the best place to see in the wintertime, summertime. And then as I get time, I try to travel and see different things before I go back home. Okay. Yeah. So, very last question, as, as you just touched uh, the subject. So, what's been the most beautiful place you went to in, in, in previous years? Oh. Or, or let's say, what's, what's been the, the one place uh, you traveled to um, where you expected the least from but got out of the most? W which one surprised you? In a more beautiful, more better way you you'd ever thought about. Ah man, surprise me. Uh, I don't know if anything surprised me. Actually, I, I went to um, I went to the Dominican Republic, and I didn't know really anything about that. And I went there. I was really it was I was pleasantly surprised. It was a nice. It was really beautiful. It was right on the water. It was, 
uh, took some like uh, tours and some stuff like that. And I, I got a lot out of it. I, I really experienced a lot. I think the favorite place I went to was Paris. You know, you always see Paris on. Yeah, but you gotta have at least. You need a week to see. Yeah, I gotta go back. I, I went there half for a weekend. Paris. Yeah, right. Very true. But uh, I, for me, Paris was just that one place where you, know, you always see the movies, always see this. It's supposed to be this big romantic place and. Uh, I, for me as a kid, like I said, being in Houston, you know, I felt like, you know, as far away as that is, my, my family never, we took trips, but it was always in the States. So I was like, oh, I probably won't ever really be able to see that other than TV. So actually going there, and I had a hotel where you can see it from the balcony and see the, you know, Alpha Tower light up, light up and uh, for me, that was kind of uh, an eye-opening experience. That was last year, and that, for me, it just kind of opened my eyes, like, you know, wow, like, you know, you don't think you're going to see something or be somewhere, and, you know, here I am in Paris, you know, in this hotel watching the Eiffel Tower, you know, it was, it was kind of, it was a really cool experience for me last year. Yeah, it is, it is a, a pretty amazing city. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. really beautiful. So what's what's on the list for this year? Oh, or do man. you have already made up your list for this year? Uh, I have to look at it again. <laughs> But I have uh, I have Iceland. I want to go to Iceland. I, okay. uh, I took a look at that and with the uh, uh, Northern Lights and yeah. all the uh, the hot tubs and stuff like that. Um, I think I have London on there. I want to go see London. And there was one. Oh, I want to go to Spain. I wanted to go to. Uh, we went to Valencia, which is really nice. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to go and see uh, Barcelona, Madrid, or something like that. And, the, the, the southern parts of, of Spain are super beautiful. Yeah. Granada, you know, with the, with the whole castle on the Ooh. on the hill, okay. which was influenced by by so many monarchs over so mm -hmm. many centuries because everybody wanted. Or so many cultures were invading Spain, right. and everybody left their mark over there. Right. Super remarkable. Super. The, the old city of Granada is yeah. just beautiful. You can go down left any 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 down. streets. It's it's bars left and right. Okay. And it takes a whole night to just go from one end of the street to to the other because yeah. once you're in a bar, you get you know the, the little tiny sub uh, the tapas. Right. Some the drink, you get to get in touch with people, talk, right. and then stumble out of the bar and go into the next. And it's the same process <laughs> all over again. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you, you just move for like, let's say, it's a hundred meters or so. Right. But you're you were in four bars, met great people, great food. Yeah. See, that's that's, that's what I want to see. I just want to go different different countries and just see different things. I mean, we played in the FIBA Euro Cup, and we didn't go to a lot of nice places, but it was still just. I, I mean, we went to like places I wouldn't have gone. Like we went to Kosovo, we went to Romania. Yeah, we went to um, uh, Saratov, where it's like, again, like there's not destinations where you just, you know, pick up and say, okay, let's go there. But it was just nice to go and just say, you know, kind of see the different places and uh, be able to have that as an experience and kind of as stories too when you get older. Like, hey, you know, I went there, I went here, went there. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm kind of looking for, uh, trying to take pictures. I'm not a picture guy, but. I try to take more pictures and uh, because as a basketball pro, you see so many stuff. You see so many cities, even though it's just fly in, right. play the game, leave the other day. Right. Yeah. But you've been there. Yeah. And you have a when you play internationally, it's it's at least at least let's say six or seven road games. Right. In different countries. Right. And over the years, you tend to forget where you've been. Yeah, you do. And, yeah. and I believe in, in this regards, it's, it's helpful to take pictures just to have a yes. chance to. Look back a couple Look back, years. Yeah, so say, eh, yeah, we've been in, in right. somewhere in Hungary, somewhere yeah. in Belarus, somewhere in, in the 
middle of nowhere in Russia, in Saratov. Right, exactly. And just be able to catalog all that stuff. So maybe at like, the end of your career, you're able to you know, have these pictures and just catalog everywhere you've been. Yeah. Uh, so I think that would be nice. I, my, I have a daughter, and she always asks me, you know, like, Daddy, where, you, where are you today? <laughs> you know, I was, oh, I'm over here. I'm over here. She wants to see pictures. She wants to see this and that. So I think it would be nice to... Uh, Kinda, you know, at the end of everything, have those pictures. My mom collects all my basketball jerseys, which is pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, she frames all of them, so just kind of have all of those. Uh, See, and it's come to full circle. You right. know, you attend a military school, right. and now you're playing in the camouflage Würzburg jersey. <laughs> yeah, it's come, now it's all come full circle. Exactly, exactly. Closing this one out, thanks to Cameron Wells for openly speaking his mind and sharing his opinions. Plus, a very special shout out goes to Würzburg's finest Stefan Wienholt for setting up the whole appointment. As a listener, feel free to follow Something Basketball on Instagram at Something Basketball and leave some feedback on whatever platform you've been listening to this episode or give us a 5-star rating to help this fine podcast grow. Until then, substitution, I'm out. <laughs>